Okay, so how do I respond to someone living a different lifestyle to me? Great question, Sally Olver. That came from Sal. So I thought, <laughs> no worries. Sal's like gotten so many questions and it's so great. But here's not an Irish pub joke. A priest, a Levite and a good Samaritan were walking down the road. It does sound like an pub, Irish pub joke, doesn't it? Who stopped to help his neighbour who was dying and beaten on the roadside? Well, it's not a joke, but the answer might not be what you're expecting. So when I was 18, before I knew Jesus Christ properly, I was a teeny bopper, whoop, whoop, and I was walking through Northbridge having a drunken night out with my mates. And um, those were the days when I was 18 before um, having four children um, that I could wear midriff tops, right? So I was like hightailing it through Northbridge, little cute midriff top on, thinking I looked hot. I was like, yeah, psst, you know, this is so good. Um, with my mates out on a night out on the town. And we walked past this big group of people who were on a corner in Northbridge. They had their guitars out and I was looking at them and I was like, they must be Christians because only Christians do weird things like that in the middle of the night in Northbridge on a corner singing, out, singing songs. And um, they were sort of standing around trying to communicate and dialogue with anybody who walked by. And, you know, I had grown up a little bit in the Anglican church till I was about 10 and so I felt as though... I was a Christian. In my mind, I was a Christian. I just didn't know that I could have a relationship with my God. And at that point, I desperately needed to know that. Anyway, walking through and this one lady, she stops me and she says, do you want to know Jesus? And I said, hey, I'm a Christian. And she said, no, you're not. (laughs) Not wearing that top, you're not. It ruined my night. It's the only time I've ever been able to wear midriff tops in my life. It ruined my night. I was like, it actually was like a knife to my heart. It stabbed me and it hurt me so bad that I would be affronting Jesus. So I actually just decided to go home. I was just like, well, that's my night ruined. I'm going home, girls. And it really didn't make me want to go to church It really didn't make me want to get to know Christians if that's the way that they acted and behaved. So how do we then, how do we relate to people who are living different lifestyles to us? I'm just going to put my glasses on this morning. (laughs) So as Christians, what is our role? Do we hold them up to our standards, to our benchmarks, or do we let them sin? Do we let them do whatever they want? Or do we even enable their sin because we're supposed to be gracious? How do we relate? What do we do? It all seems quite easy to answer when you're not in a situation like that. For example, the Muslim family that lives next door to you or the two women who have a child together and that child goes to school with your child or the kids who do trick and treat at your door on Halloween night, or people who abuse drugs, alcohol or sex, people who go to tarot card readers or are tarot card readers, the jobless or the homeless, 
or the parents who yell at their kids in the shopping centres and we all feel awkward on the inside. How do we relate? And how do we relate to the Eagle supporters? (laughs) When they're winning and we're losing. (laughs) I know, right? But that's the toughest. No, anyway, (laughs) it's not really. Well, I've got five points for you this morning. And my five points come to you from the beautiful story of the Good Samaritan. And we're just going to unpack that a little bit this morning. So if you've got your Bibles with you, we're going to Luke chapter 10, verse 25 to 37. But it will be on the screen if you don't have your Bible. So let's really find out how Jesus instructed us to respond to people who are different to us. Because Jesus is our perfect theology and that means we follow his example. Okay, let's go. So verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the biblical law, not in political law, biblical law, stood up to test Jesus. And he said this. He said, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied to him, well, What is written in the law? How do you read it? He throws the question back. So my first point this morning, and I hope that you'll take notes because this is good stuff. The first point in how we respond and relate to people who are living a different lifestyle is that we don't always have to exercise our opinion and we don't always have to give the answers, right? If we follow Jesus' simple strategy here of just asking a question or telling a story, it provokes people to think more deeply about what they're doing or what they're standing for or the kind of lifestyle that they're living. He, Jesus always refrained. He often refrained from answering people's questions. He spoke in stories and parables to get people thinking a little more deeply to empowering people to go, well, this is why I believe what I believe. This is why I do what I do. He wanted to get people thinking. He very rarely entered into debates with people about theology. Very rarely. He turned it on its head and he asked a question. He told a story or he spoke a parable. You know, in the beginning, and Mike Blakemore shared this in communion recently, that God gave man free choice to believe in him or not. His heart has always been that people would choose him. And Jesus knows this. He was the wisest and the cleverest at throwing back at people questions to get an answer that was well considered. And we need to give people that option too. We need to let people choose Jesus for themselves. We can't go ramming Jesus down people's throat when they don't want it. You know, sometimes we need to exercise restraint when it comes to our opinions in order that people who need truth can come to their own conclusions about that. I read this great thing this morning which said, people don't retain truth when you dump it. They retain truth when they discover it. We need to create scenarios for people to find truth. 
That's what we need to do. Let me say that again. We need to create scenarios for people to find truth. What does that mean? Well, that means that you have relationship with them and you be a kind friend. And when one day they ask a question about your faith, you're in the right space to answer it. You need to be able to invite people to church where they can encounter the presence of God and then he can do the work. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts, right? And changes. Or invite them to a small group where they'll meet like-minded people to you and have an opportunity to have relationship. Or invite them to volunteer with you in Serve Week. People love getting behind things that benefit the community. Invite them to serve with you. Offer to pray for them. If they're going through a hard thing in their life or if they've got pain in their body, be brave, be bold and offer to pray for them. If they say no, it's okay. It's their free choice. But we need to create scenarios for people to encounter the truth rather than us ramming it down their throats. Can I hear an amen this morning? Okay, let's go on. Back to Luke, verse 27. So the question was, Jesus throws it back. What is written in the law? You tell me. How do, we, how do you read it? And the lawyer, he answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbour as yourself. So point number two this morning, we're taking notes here, is this. We need to love our neighbour as ourself. Now, that's an interesting statement because I know some people are likely to comment here, well, I don't know if I actually love myself. I don't actually feel that great about myself. How can I love other people when I don't actually think that highly of myself? But you know what? We all have self-interest. It's human nature. We're all about self-preservation. That's the way we're made. Um, And that is what God is really talking about, self-interest. In the same way that we take care of ourselves and are concerned with our own interests, we should take care and have concern for the interests of others. That's what that means. So what if the concerns of others are not the same as ours? What if someone has a particular passion to save the whales? And we love the whales, but we're not really that concerned about saving them. How do we navigate that? But what if our neighbours are hard, rude, trying people? How do we navigate that? How do we love our neighbour as ourselves when our neighbours aren't very nice and they care about things that we don't really care about? Well, let me read to you out of Matthew 5. 43 to 46, and it's coming up on the screen. And these are hard words, church. These are hard words. Jesus says, You've heard it said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven, He causes his sun to rise on the evil and the good and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Church, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? Amen. Bless the tax collectors, God. Bless the ATO, Jesus. And if you greet your own, only your own people, 
What are you doing more than others? Church, do not even the pagans do that? They're hard words, right? They're really hard words. But Jesus is asking us to respond to people in this way who are not like us. Not like us. How we walk with the broken speaks louder than how we sit with the great. Let's go back to Luke. Verse 28. The lawyer says we need to love God and we need to love people. And Jesus says, you have answered correctly, Jesus replied. If you do this, you'll live. But the lawyer, he wanted to justify himself. And so he asks Jesus, well, then who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And my point number three this morning is you need to understand who your neighbor is. Understand who your neighbor is. So Jesus goes on and he defines that answer, neighbor, with an illustration, with a story. Here he goes again. He's not giving him the answer. He gives him a story. So let's read along and and see what he says. So in verse 30, Jesus says this story. He says, a man. Now, on this man, we don't know anything else about this man except that he's a man. We're given no information about him. We're not given his racial origin. We're not given his way of life, his religion. We're not given his sexual preference. We're not given his socioeconomic status. We're not given his highest level of educational qualification. And when you've got older kids, you have to fill out forms when they're enrolled in school. What is the highest level of your educational qualification? You've got to tick all these boxes. And for those who probably didn't make it to year 12, feel quite like a dummy when they have to tick that. Then he didn't give... His job status, whether he was employed or unemployed, he didn't give his IQ. He didn't even give his Myers-Briggs personality type so that we could sum him up into a little box. He didn't give us any of that information and you know why? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So it says here, a man who was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side of the road. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side of the road also. These two men, priest and Levite, belonged to an elite Jewish class, God's people, both religious professionals. In today's world, that would be a pastor and a worship leader walking down the road who walked over the other side of the road. If anybody was expected to carry out the Old Testament law, it was these guys, and they didn't. The story goes on in verse 33, but a Samaritan as he travelled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey. He brought him to an inn and he took care of him. The next day he took out some money 
and he gave it to the innkeeper and he said to the innkeeper, will you look after him? And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you might have. Jesus' definition of a neighbour, which is what he's answering in this story, is this. Your neighbour, church, is anyone who comes in contact with you or you come in contact with today, tomorrow or thereafter, put in your path so that you would show kindness. That is the definition of a neighbour according to this story. A neighbour could be those people who ignore us, are mean to us. They could be the snobby worker in the clothes store or the homeless man in the park. They could also be the lovely people who smile at us as we walk down the street or the person who stops to help you cross a road. They're your neighbour. And my point number four this morning, and we're nearly done, is that we need to treat people with compassion. Treat people with compassion. And the critical difference between the Englishman, the Irishman and the, what is the other one? Australian. Or the, the priest, the Levite and the Samaritan was compassion. One of them had compassion. The two Jewish men were going down from Jerusalem to Jericho with no apparent purpose. They were just on their way and they saw the man. They didn't stop. And yet the good Samaritan, he was walking on purpose. He was going on a trip. He said, look after him while I go away and when I come back, I'll fix you up. He stopped in the midst of a business trip. Somewhere important, he was going to stop and help this man. So a question for you this morning, does busyness hinder your willingness to stop for the ones around you? You know, we heard Wayne's testimony today. If we didn't open our doors and our hearts to Wayne when he was in the midst of struggle, would have we seen healing and wholeness in his life? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe he would have found another church who would have opened their arms to him and welcomed him. But we have a responsibility, church, to love. So the Samaritan, you know, what we don't know much about the Samaritan. Um, we don't really know what that word means unless you've looked into that. We know that there's an op shop called the Good Sammies. And we th- so we figure that Samaritan must mean a good thing, right? The Good Sammies, um, that Good Samaritan, he was a really good guy. And I want to tell you that in those days and times, people didn't equate Samaritan with a good thing. And this is why. The Samaritans were actually a mix of Jewish people, which was God's chosen people, and Gentile people, which was everybody else, the dregs, right? The people who didn't know God. And the Jews hated them. The Jews hated the Samaritans. Actually, they they really despised them. They had all kinds of horrendous names for them. Things like half-breeds and heathen dogs, they would call the Samaritans. In fact, they believed that if um, they touched the shadow, if a, a Samaritan's shadow walked past them, they would be contaminated. 
They believed that if a Samaritan woman walked into their village, their whole village would be contaminated. So the Jews did not have a very high opinion, you could say, of the Samaritans. And if anybody had a reason to not walk in compassion, love and kindness, it was possibly that Samaritan guy, the outcast, the half-breed, the despised man. And yet here he was going above and beyond with compassion to help a man who was not like him. Sounds like Jesus to me. Sounds like Jesus to me. In Matthew 9, 9 to 13, there's this beautiful account of Jesus. And it says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew, who was an ATO rep. And he said to him, follow me. Can you tell I've got a history with the ATO? I'm like dealing with my heart right now. Forgiveness. I love the ATO. God bless them. Prosper them. Um, Matthew, come with me. And Matthew rose and he followed Jesus. And it happened that as he was reclining, he was relaxed. He was very relaxed in the company of the people he was with. Behold, many tax gatherers and sinners, they breed, came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees, the religious guys saw this, they said to his disciples, why is your teacher eating with tax gatherers and sinners? But when he heard this, he said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. You know that word sick, it means physically or morally badly or miserable. And Jesus said this, but go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but I came to call the sinners. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. The difference, compassion is being moved by the heart of God. Sacrifice is just ritual. You can do it without being moved by the heart of God. Church, we can rock up to church on a Sunday out of ritual, not doing it out of being, out of being moved by God. And that is the difference. Compassion is moved out of the heart of God. It's knowing what God loves, knowing what God cares for. And sacrifice is ritual. You can just do it. You can just rock up to church on a Sunday. It doesn't take much to do that. We're nearly done. 1 Corinthians 13.1. And this is a hard word too. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but I do not have love, I'm a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I'd like to insert here a child learning recorder. <laughs> if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all... Have they not banned those things yet? I mean, it's just ridiculous. Anyway, if I have the gift of prophecy... No one even plays recorder as an adult. It's just ridiculous. Sorry. Um, no, you don't. And if you do, we're going to pray for you. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, come on, 
And if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I have to the poor and give my body to hardship, whip me for Jesus, then I may boast, but do not have love, I am nothing. Again, nothing. Come on, church. Are you with me this morning? Say amen then. Woo! So does compassion then mean letting people do whatever they want? No, it doesn't. If my kids want McDonald's every night, and they do, they do, yeah. Um, should I let them because of my compassionate heart? The answer is no, actually. <laughs> no. I would be being irresponsible as a parent. I would be compromising their health. If someone walked off the street just now and said, I've got a message to preach, out of compassion, would I let them? No is the answer. No, no, we wouldn't let them. We don't know who they are. We don't know their integrity. We don't know if they even believe in the word of God. No, no, we wouldn't do that. What if a Christian wanted to do something that was not allowed in the Bible? What would we do? We, we would apply truth and we would apply grace. Truth and grace. John 1.17 said, For the law was given through Moses, the rules, but grace and truth, two things, came through Jesus Christ. We need to speak truth in love. The Bible says we speak truth in love. We don't beat people over the head with truth. And then we give grace. And we have to earn the right to speak into our brothers' and our sisters' lives. And this is the right, that you love them and that they trust you. That's the right. Truth without grace is mean. Grace without truth is meaningless. But truth and grace together is medicine. It changes people's lives. Okay, back to the story for the last point. We're nearly done. I'm going over time. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Okay, so he's, he's asking another question. And this one seems pretty obvious. Well, it's not the priest because he walked on the other side of the road. It's not the Levite because he also just walked around the, the person half dead. But it, it is the, um, and the expert in the law replied, well, it's the one who had mercy on him. He couldn't even say Samaritan. He just said it's the one who had mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do that too. There's the truth. So number five, my last point, how do we respond to people who are living a different lifestyle to us? Number five, we be present and we meet felt need. After everything the good Samaritan did for this man lying broken on the ground, do you think the broken man would want to know the good Samaritan? Do you think that he would go find him out? And thank him and want to know him and have relationship with him because of what he had done. Do you think? Look, this is me being like Jesus. I'm asking you a question. I'm trying to get you to think through this. He would, wouldn't he? 
He would want to be his friend. After everything that he did for him, he would want to have relationship with him. You bet he would. You bet he would. And Serve Week has been like that for us. Do you think that that beautiful woman that we went and served yesterday, we did backyard blitzman, we mowed her lawns and in the background of the video I saw, I could hear chainsaws going off and all kinds of things and I was like starting to intercede and pray for those people using chainsaws. Don't let them lose a limb because, you know, some people who haven't used chainsaws before aren't... Anyway, anyway, anyway. <laughs> Random. Sorry. Bring it back. Yes, um, I was saying, surf week. Do you think that they will remember Oasis Church? Do you think that they'll remember your faces and your names because you stopped for them to do something kind? Meeting felt need. Food's felt need, y'all. Backyard's felt need. Come on, we've made an impact in our community this week because of the things that we've done. We need to be available for the one, for the one who we meet today, the one who we meet tomorrow, the one who we meet next week. You know, all we ask you to do, this was hilarious when I did the math and I used a calculator um, because I'm only a primary school teacher, I'm not a high school teacher, but when this is what I figured out. We ask you to come to church once a week, that's two hours, And we ask you to attend a small group once a week. That's two hours. That's four hours, everybody, of church commitment out of 164 hours a week. And in that 164 164 hours a week, you need to sleep and you need to eat. But what the other things that you should be doing is creating time to stop for the one. Creating time to introduce people to Jesus. Have relationship with them, those people who don't know him. You've got all this time in your week to stop for the ones and twos. When we see people in suffering and need, our pity should be excited. Here's an opportunity for us to stop for the one. Okay. I'm going to just close because we're so out of time. 